Welcome to The Lit Review, a podcast sparked by a moment of urgency, recognizing mass political education as key for our liberation struggles. Every week, your hosts, Paige May and Monica Trinidad, will chat with people we love and respect about relevant books for the movement. Everything from history to theories around gender to sci-fi and beyond. We know that political study is not accessible for a variety of reasons. The high cost of books, academic jargon, the failures of our underfunded school systems, time barriers, etc. Our hope is that this podcast helps address some of those issues, making critical knowledge more accessible to the masses. Think Sparknotes in podcast form. I'm one of your hosts, Paige May. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, it's Paige. And it's Monica. Welcome to another episode of The Lit Review. We are with one of my favorite people, the wonderful Hannah, who is an organizer with me in Asada's Daughters and a friend of mine. Um, I'm going to let her introduce herself later in a second. But today, we are going to be talking about Emergent Strategy. It's a book I've been hearing a lot about. I've started reading it. I haven't finished. It is, I believe, the only book I own that's specifically about organizing strategy and organizing theory that's written by a black woman. So that's pretty special. And it's something that uh, is a big reason why I thought we needed to have this book on the show as soon as possible. So welcome, Hannah. Hey. Hey, hey. Um, can you start off by telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do and why? Word. Uh, my name's Hannah Batiste. I, as Paige said, I'm uh, working with the Sada's Daughters. And other than that, I kind of do random tech sector work in Chicago. Um, I've done youth work with AD um, and other other work with the org for the past year and change. I love young people, and that's kind of the crux of what we do. Um, yeah. Cool. Awesome. And I almost finished reading this book, and it has been a really life-changing book for me right now. I feel like I've had the first life-changing book for me was All About Love by Bell Hooks, and that happened when I was in Oakland in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, where it was just that book that just like you just felt it in your gut. Um, And this has been that book for me um, as I've been dealing with a lot lately. So I'm really excited to have you here talking about this book. So what led you to read this book? Word. So my story is kind of what (laughs) it kind of matters to answer this question. So I kind of came up in like youth, queer, theater, social justice through the performing arts type of world. Um, and that politicized me really young, um, but through this lens of like, it matters how you treat people in your community. Like you make change first in your intimate world and your intimate life, and then in your immediate community. And then that just ripples up. Um, and so I learned of Adrienne Marie Brown my first year at the AMC, um, the Allied Media Conference, and she was giving the keynote and she gave the keynote about emergent strategy, focusing more on that, like biomimicry aspect, um, is basically like taking patterns from nature and applying that to human systems um and just listening to her talk i was like oh my god like before that point i hadn't really connected to this whole world of like what does it mean to actually organize people to build power to get things done and to to have self-determination right i'd only ever thought about in terms of like how do we build and transform our worlds from the inside out um and she just spoke to it in this way that was like this is the meld of both of those things um and so I've been obsessed since that moment and she had a zine that she came out with and I was just like following everything she was doing and then when I learned she was writing a book I was like amazed and so as soon as it came out I had it on like 
you know, back order, whatever the word is for that. Um, yeah, so that's how I started, came into reading it. And I think that this is going to be an interesting conversation because we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how this is a hard book to sort of summarize the way it's written, what it's covering, right? But to start, what is Emergent Strategy and what is this book trying to do? Word. Uh, so that, when I was on the way here, I was just thinking like, I wish I could like had a whiteboard that you guys could see just like this like crazy diagram, like the way that Adrian B. Brown explains it is like, through every word in this book. Um, but there's also a really simple way of explaining it, which is just that it's a series of simple interactions in a complex ecosystem. Um, and it's also a set of practices. It's also a set of principles. Um, but it's also not like this one thing that fixes everything. Um, it's this way of working together uh, and a way of moving about in the world that kind of is a collaborative way of building the world that we want. Um, that's based in honoring the earth and each other and justice for for everyone. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can go through the principles a little bit. Um, I know there's the, I think it's like the second chapter that she starts laying it out and she starts out saying small is good, small is all, um, change is constant and all of those sort of like points as the principles. Um, were there any that stood out to you as like super powerful, super important, or all of them? seem really important but yeah she has all these beautiful and poetic ways of talking about emergent strategy in fact uh poetry is weaved throughout this volume mm-hmm. um and like you're saying she talks about some of the principles being first of all actually i'll go back a little bit emergent strategy the whole concept around this she she calls it an observation of of nature and an observation of movements and an observation of uh when people have been, I don't want to say successful, but when we've won, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. It's almost kind of like a applying some kind of like set of x-rays on top of movements. Um, and so, yeah, some of those principles, small is good, small is all, change is constant. There's always enough time for the right work. There's a conversation in the room that only these people at this moment can have. Find it. Never a failure, always a lesson. Trust the people. If you trust the people, they become trustworthy. Move at the speed of trust and focus on critical connections more than critical mass. Build the resilience by building the relationships. Less prep, more presence, and what you pay attention to grows. So it's this, I think I was saying before, kind of like an anti-rubric. Mm-hmm. So in in like the business world or in under capitalism, we're kind of forced to always find more efficient ways of producing, constantly producing. And I think that that kind of culture and demand infiltrates like how we think of organizing people to build power as well and how we think of building organizations that can be sustainable, especially with the whole NPIC complex. But it, it crops up in any human system, right? Because we live under capitalism. It's in our culture. It's in our blood in a way. Um, and I think of this as like the, it's still concerned with like, how do we get the goods, right? But how do we do that in a way that, like, is acknowledging of the fact that, like, uh, we can't, like, wholesale take the things that we learn under capitalism will be good for productivity and assume that, like, we can apply those same concepts and it'll work for movement building. Um, So I think of emergent strategy as, like, a set of principles, a set of practices, and a set of, I guess, uh, mindsets that help groups of people apply different logics for how to work together. Um, 
and it's extremely messy. And she, so she lays out a set of elements that are, um, I think she explains somewhere in the book that it's like, she, uh, they're, they're not wholly separable from each other. Um, but nonetheless, these constructs are observed in this way. And after like many revisions of like trying to come up with a set of elements, she uh, it landed with these. Um, so what those elements are, so the first is fractal. So that's the relationship between small and large. Uh, the second is intentional adaptation, so that's how we change. Third is interdependence and decentralization, that's who we are and how we share. Uh, the, third, well, the fourth, nonlinear and iterative, so the pace and the pathways of change. Uh, the next one is resilience, how we recover and transform. And the final one is creating more possibilities, how we move towards life. Um, so each of these kind of work together as like a set of, yeah, ways, ways of thinking about and also doing things together as, uh, as groups of organizations, as single organizations, as people, as oneself. Um, and she even offers in the book um, an, a whole section on tips for facilitating emergent strategy um, and also an assessment on these different elements that help you think through kind of where you at as an individual because you always bring self anywhere. Um, and also as a group, whether or not it's a collective or a grassroots mobilization or an organization or coalition or yeah, what have you. Were there any principles in particular or just general lessons that really struck you and stood out to you, um, either because they challenged how you think or they just felt really affirming of what you've seen to be true about how we change things? Yeah, I'll say, um, I think overall, just the fact, I, I, I'm almost like suspicious of how comprehensive it is. Mm. Like, I'm like, no, no way. Like, <laughs> this cannot be like actually um, this good of an observation of like human dynamics in like trying to build up alternatives to like the shit that we, that exists, right? Um, which isn't to say it like describes every human phenomenon ever, but it's you can see the way that like things fit within that the constructs that she lays out and so i think that that's like what stood out to me most in a way that i was like looking for things to pick apart in it in a way or to like the anti-pattern <laughs> um but the things that kind of stood out to me and i think any reader going through this book um you could read it 10 times and each time different things will stand out because i think it's uh it like shows up it showed up for me when i was reading it um in ways that were very particular to where i was in that time um but the things that stood out um in the section on interdependence and decentralization on being seen um i think for me when i show up to contribute in organizing work i try to um kind of distance like parts of myself in ways that i think are like checking my bullshit at the door so that I can like engage and collaborate in like getting the work done. Um, which isn't to say like being inauthentic, but it's like trying to um, get shit done. And she has a passage in here on being seen that says, you know, on so many levels, interdependence requires being seen as much as possible as your true self, meaning that your capacity and your needs are transparent. Um, and I think that that's something that stood out because it requires an amount of vulnerability 
I think that is often really hard to, it's hard. Uh, and, I, and I think even if you're working with people who are your friends, who are maybe your lovers, um, it's really hard to show up in that way. Um, so that, that definitely stood out to me. Also a huge, huge, huge section of the book um, where she's talking about haters and like how to tell the difference between haters and folks who are genuinely trying to like offer critiques that can grow your work. Um, she talks about how folks um, were in this moment right now, and she might not say it in these words, but that we're in this moment right now where it's like so much easier to critique, especially anonymously or over the internet, where we can just like throw a critique, throw a critique, throw a critique. Um, and that it's a way that, um, I'll just read exactly what she says. She says, sometimes I think we put up the critiques to excuse ourselves from getting involved. And sometimes I think we do it to protect our hearts from getting broken if it doesn't work out. And that really stood out to me just because I think oftentimes like the folks who are kind of putting out like ideas for projects or ideas for new work to embark in or new relationships to build or new places to go, um, that, is a, that is a moment of, that's also a moment of vulnerability. And for other folks who are engaging in those conversations, a lot of times um, the critique of those ideas comes from a place of like trying to self-preserve. And that really, really stood out because I, I find that to be one of my struggles. Um, I feel like this is just gonna turn into like the Hannah's struggles hour <laughs> <laughs> because so much of what stood out was like, oh shit, this is a call out. How did she know um, that I'm dealing with this? Um, and then another thing that I really, really, really loved, there's, there's so much to call out in this book. I'm sure I'm missing a lot of it. Like I said, like a lot of it that stands out is deeply personal. Um, she talks about how um, we have to create futures in which everyone doesn't have to be the same kind of person. And that the problem with utopia is that there's this presumption of like a monoculture that will happen after we win liberation. And it's like, no, like I want that world now, like the world where we can allow there to be many different ways of being. And actually perhaps one of the ways of being might be that some people don't recognize, uh, recognize it as in like appreciate um, emergent strategy, for instance. So <laughs> that's another world that people might, or another framework that people might be using is we're all coming from different places mm -hmm. and that should be allowed that should be allowed. Mm -hmm. And we have to operate with that complexity. Mm -hmm. And I think the kind of the whole book is about that. Like given that we're all coming from different places um, and different perspectives and different lenses and different histories, we all come having had a past and we all, we all will have futures. Um, how do we collaborate on a vision for our futures that's based in liberation for all that doesn't assume that we can all just like adapt to some uniformity or mm -hmm. that we all want uniformity and that, that you know how do we how do we resist that mm -hmm. yeah so you were saying that you were going through this book trying to like pick it apart a little bit like are looking to try to pick it apart because it just felt so like comprehensive like like very applicable to or whatever and i was going through this book like with a lot of stuff resonating you know like I, I, on this page that I'm on, she's a Virgo, so I was like, oh, I'm a Virgo too. <laughs> I feel it. We need structure, and we need people to, like, be honest. And and then also um, there was this section where she talked about the moment where she was burning out, right? She was feeling unappreciated. She was feeling um, like 
her vision was blurry and lost like she didn't know what she was doing anymore and like how she had to like really just stop and like self-evaluate and um I think yeah that's sort of where I'm at right now and so I was like that that yeah so I was just resonating but also slightly looking to like pick it apart like but like how does this work right and so like I do want to connect two quotes of hers mm-hmm. at, that feel to me to me personally like um not contradicting but like I'm just having a hard time um understanding how we can hold both but on page uh seven I think page 72 she says as an individual get really good at being intentional with where you put your energy letting go as quickly as you can of things that aren't part of your visionary life's work um so how does that align with I feel like a lot of the book is saying we have to recognize human um, complexities, right? And recognize that people are coming from trauma and people are coming you know, with a lot of, of different backgrounds and experiences, right? And that we have to like lean in and, and, and be more present and, um, and just um, focus on that connection, right? So how did those two sort of like work together? I know it's a really... <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's what I've just been thinking this, through this whole book. Like, how do we balance both, both and, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's an excellent observation to pull from this book. And I think that there are so many contradictions in this book as a result of just the contradiction of human mm-hmm. nature. Um, and so I guess something that I picked up from this book that I think maybe she might even say in response to your question about, like, how do you hold... Uh, kind of those moments of like being in a wash and like not being sure about what's going on and also then like um, existing in connection to other people. Um, And she says something really powerful in many places in this book and just in general about um, identifying like what is the most elegant next step and also interdependence. Um, I think both of those things together uh, kind of being open with an assessment of like where one is and communicating to that to people who you're in community with, who you're accountable to or who you work with or who are part of your woes, as she calls it, like folks who are like, uh, I love that concept that she introduced actually. And I think that applies to your question. So she talks about woes and she borrows that from Drake um, as just like friends who she, um, who are kind of like her accountability partners throughout life, but also are her like Working on excellence. Working on excellence is what WO stands for. Yes, thank you, Paige. Um, And folks who she just, like, is tight with, who she can, like, kick it with and talk about her visions with and who can, like, um, give her inspiration and also keep her accountable and, like, bounce ideas off of and be in the journey with. Um, And I think um, generating, like, authenticity in those relationships with woes and also with like comrades and folks you're working with, I think is part of like acknowledging those moments where it's like, oh, I'm burning out um, and being able to kind of identify that and figure out like in an interconnected way, in an interdependent way, okay, well, what's the, you know, most elegant thing now? Um, And that thing could be, I'm going to chill out for a second, or it could be um, identifying here are the pieces of the work that I need you my woe to hold on to or <laughs> you my comrade to hold on to yeah so i as i mentioned i started reading this book um and i hit so i i didn't i i made it through the that that first page where she's talking through the principles of uh, the principles of emergent strategy um okay well, i'm trying to 
I'm trying to think of how to anchor this. Um, okay, so there's like five big things that are happening in my brain right now that I think are all connected that I want to hear your thoughts on. So one is this is a book that's deeply rooted in Octavia Butler, particularly her um, her Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talent books, in which it's society, right, and particular like a specific a girl um, named Lauren, right, um, her. She lives in a in in like the epitome of a gated community, sort of like po post apocalypse or like, uh, yeah, I forget what they call it, the pox, I think. Um, and it's about how Lauren, um, um, she she develops this, something called Earthseed, right, and the principles of Earthseed, and it's her sort of philosophy of of life, and, and, and it's her a philosophy that that first and foremost believes that change is constant, that, that everything changes, right? And so that, that isn't a question, like a theory of change isn't one of like, you know, how do we make change happen? It's rather a question of like, how do we influence change, right? Um, and so, so there's that piece, right? There's this sort of like, it's anchored in ultimately sci-fi, right? Or right. like fantasy. Um, and secondly, she has these things, and I was at a place personally when I was reading this where I was thinking about the Black Lives Matter movement and sort of reflecting on what we've done and um, what we haven't done and what we need to do. And I re there were th there were three parts of the principles that she really hit on the, that 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 hit me in a way that like I basically I stopped reading after page like what am I I'm on page fifty five and mm -hmm. I think about these principles almost every day and like I see them applying to the work that I'm trying to do now. So it's not that I stopped reading because it wasn't relevant. It it's it's just like there's so much in these. Okay, so the the three that really hit me. Our small is good, small is all. That's like so counter to everything that I have right. been taught about how you organize, right? Where you need, like, I still, I don't think this is counter to the idea that movements are about mass mobilization, but she's saying something about the important, I think it's the fractal piece, right? So if you can kind of explain that a little bit more. And then on the next page, um, okay, so there's three more things. That was my cat. Um, <laughs> Who? <laughs> anyway, never mind. Um, okay, emerging. Uh, so she says, "Trust the people. If you trust the people, they become trustworthy." And that again, like we, I think that when I read this book, I didn't really apply it to the people that I spend most of my time with, or like the people that I've been like in conflict conflict with, or like deal like whatever, like in messes with. Um, I, I was thinking too, just about like why why does our movement sometimes feel so limited like it's created it's a bubble right and and with like quote unquote the people on the outside of it and and, and anyway so just like that line really hit me um, and then she says move at the speed of trust focus on critical connections more than critical mass build the resilience by building re the relationships and like I was telling you about my day earlier where I was like trying to find out who owned this building and like met this guy named Hammer and like it, it was this really beautiful thing where I didn't find out who, I didn't meet the woman who owns the building but like eight other things happened. And then she says when you, what you pay attention to grows. And I think there's something really profound in that that's very different than like, you know, you got to get people in a room, identify an issue, come up with a solution, you know, come up with a campaign. Escalate, escalate, escalate. Like she's saying something different about what our movement needs. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that. That was a very long question. Yeah, yeah, no, I've, there's so much packed in just to those principles that like, mm -hmm. it's almost like an index for the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. um, it's totally true. Um, in, the, in her section on fractals, she talks a lot about, um, actually I've already referenced this, about 
um, creating worlds that don't make it so that everyone has to be the same person, right? Um, and focuses on how, what we're doing at the small scale is what we're doing at the large scale. Um, and I think what that's really about, what she's trying to say, is that we have to kind of pay attention to the dynamics that we create within our organizations, within ourselves, and the kinds of things that we start to institute into culture in our, in our organizations, and also with people who we're trying to build with. Um, so exactly, like the, the tenant, you know, that is movements are uh, able to have influence and power when they have scale, right? Well, if we focus on scale before we focus on critical connections, which is referenced elsewhere in the book, it's all, you know, you, you've got people, but then what are the people there to do? Um, and that's, that's also something she mentions in here. Um, and so that fractal piece, um, as one of the elements, kind of gets at that. Um, and I think this is actually, where, like, one of, like I mentioned before, kind of, like, my, the place that I was politicized from, right? Like, we have to transform ourselves to transform the world. And I think that that concept has been, like, thoroughly debated, right? Um, and I think that there's a lot of ways that that has been kind of uh, a runaway train, in a way, um, and has been used outside the context of, like, then organizing people for power um, and doing work that matters for uh, transforming our world. A lot of times it can focus on transform self and then there's because there's so much there right there's so much um there's so much trauma that we each carry that it is so much work to kind of focus on that piece and focus on the on the relational piece of how we build higher quality and more critical connections amongst ourselves and with ourselves um in order to make it so that when we scale up we have something that we want to bring people into that that's not toxic right um, and I think that that's kind of one of the biggest uh, lessons that she's trying to lay out in the fractals piece um, is about how to how to make it so that the visions that we're setting out for ourselves as a movement or as um, individuals kind of reflect in the way that we treat each other and the way that we're designing our work to play out. And that quote that you, you sort of had mentioned was by um, Detroit filmmaker Oya Amakisi. And they said, and they're, they're a Detroit labor organizer. Um, oh, no, that's the words of General Baker, a Detroit labor organizer um, that was shared by the Detroit filmmaker. Um, and it's the, the quote says, you, can, you keep asking, how do we get the people here? I say, what will we do when they get here? Mm -hmm. Right? And I was like, damn. Yes. Um, and it, it just reminds me of how, how much uh, complexity is in organizing and how organizing is so, like, we don't know what we're doing. We're experimenting. This is all an experiment, right? Yep. Um, and I actually, I was at Allied Media Conference um, a couple of weeks ago, and I went to the anti-oppressive facilitation workshop by Autumn um, uh, Autumn Brown, who is uh, Adrian's sister. Um, mm -hmm. And that really just, you know, I've been facilitating meetings for 10 years, right? And I still was like, learning so much and like it's not just making an agenda it's like you it's a it's, it's listening to people and it's like making room for ideas to grow right that's what you're doing when you're facilitating a meeting right um but so anyway so adrian references in here what she's learned from octavia butler which is that all organizing is science fiction so can you elaborate a little bit on what she means by that yes absolutely i think what she's trying to kind of get at with that is again like going back to the whole uh, 
kind of inspiration for this set of observations, uh, which is that we we can only hope to influence change, as Paige was saying, and Paige, uh, sorry, and change is constant, um, and we can't avoid it. So how do we how do we move elegantly with change? How do we move intentionally toward that? And how do we shape change, um, which Octavia Butler calls God, actually. Um, and something that's also from this, this fractals piece that kind of, I think, touches on that is that uh, we, have to, we have to be in a space of being comfortable owning kind of radical imagination and being in a space of reconstructing together. And I think that that's kind of at the crux of what she means when she says organizing is science fiction because there's, we have never been in this moment before. We've never had the set of resources that we have now. We've never had the exact same political dynamics. We've never had the exact same set of conditions. Um, and so we can only look back to history um, to understand, well, how did they do it under their conditions? Um, how were they able to win? How were they able to organize? How were folks able to, um, to build with each other and to build love and to build trust? Um, and what can we learn from that to kind of reimagine the ways that uh, that can be applied today um, for, for transformative goals? And she also says something to that effect. So it's not just kind of the radical imagination piece, right? It's how do we then work together for the long haul, right? Um, and that's why she's speaking to critical connections being more important than critical mass, because uh, she makes a point elsewhere in the book that we are going to need, uh, I, I wish I could find the quote, we're going to need a mass of people who are on the side of justice before the planet will ever, will ever actually achieve the tipping of those scales, right? So we have to be accountable for, uh, we have to be accountable to people as we're doing the work of radically reimagining the world that we want um, and actually building those critical connections over the long haul and doing the slow work, right? Um, so that we can be creating that science fiction together. Um, I think another point that's kind of on that same vein is she talks about how we are currently living in the imagination of oppressors, right? We're currently living in the imagination of people who dreamt up white supremacy and patriarchy and cis heteronormativity and capitalism. Someone imagined that this is how the world should be, right? And so it's going to take the same amount of not just reimagining, not just vision, but also critical connections so that we can actually sustain ourselves in the fight for uh, transforming the, those worlds. The book talks uh, and makes a lot of connections to nature as well, and um, it seems like she both finds, but both in terms of how she's explaining that we have to be, you know, in a healthy relationship with nature, but also she seems to sort of, um, I think the term biomimicry she uses, where she's talking about how we need to not just be in a better relationship with nature, but also look to nature for inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, and so, can you talk a little bit about? what she says, like, I know like she talks about like the dandelion, uh, mushrooms, like there's, there's sort of symbols that she uses to be like, this is something that we should aspire to and that we should find lessons for our own community and in ecosystems of humans. <laughs> yeah, so whenever I think of the biomimicry piece with the emergent strategy book is, you know, it's, it's on the cover, there's a flock of birds and I think it's like the easiest one to kind of go to. It's at, you know, what uh, about the ants? Ants. ants too yes <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> the one that sticks with me the most is the, yeah. the the using the example of birds right mm -hmm. 
when birds are uh, flocking and they're migrating, right? There's not like one bird that's like writing a strategic plan for how to get to how to migrate, right? <laughs> and when there's kind of a change that needs to be made, uh, they each are sensing the others around them. That the the small fluctuations in their patterns are are being kind of observed and then adjusted constantly, right? And I think in in the human world, if if we were able to apply that concept, maybe there'd be a lot less pettiness in the world, right? I think. It, I mean, the military also studies it, right? Yeah, they also look at birds and and fish that do this and are trying to figure out how they do it and apply it to war. Right. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So it changes. There is no like good or bad change. Right, and it's like when she says like the that cri- every crisis is an opportunity, right? Well, that's disaster capitalism too, right? So it's like, right, the, the enemy is using what we're also trying to use, right, and like turn around. Yeah. Exactly, you can study the the patterns in nature for any purpose, right? She even breaks down that like strategy is a middle, military term, and strategy in and of itself isn't some like beautiful concept. <laughs> it's like it just like any other tool in the wrong hands, it can be used for destruction. Um, no, but on the piece that I was just talking about with pettiness, I, I really meant that. Like, um, I think with the ways that um, animals and plants and in nature, uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a responsiveness, right, that happens that's just kind of as a consequence of I can't exist or find the right way to exist as, a, as on the singular until I understand what's happening on the whole. Right. And so it, there's kind of the sense of like being in tune um, that is just recognizing the fact of interdependence. Um, and I think in the human world, oftentimes there can be a sense of like, oh, this person didn't do what I needed to do, them to do on time or like uh, so many different ways that I think we don't treat each other with care or work gracefully um, that I think. Um, when we look at the patterns in nature, we understand that like constant change and constant adaptation is actually just necessary. And I think that if we acknowledge that in the human sphere, we would be a lot more careful and gracious. And I think uh, along those same lines, I think it would be wrong to not mention the the piece that she starts writing about transformative justice in an abusive dynamic. Um, and you know, she's referring to you know accountability and, and transformative justice and and whatnot. And I think that is something that everybody is talking about right now. Everyone's using you know transformative justice and restorative justice uh, terms and language, right? And sometimes it's being used in a in a harmful way, and sometimes it's being used right, right? Um, and she says, I think it's on page uh, 141, she says, you are not obligated to engage in a process with someone if you do not feel like it, whether you feel unsafe or exhausted or angry. And I was like, yeah. And then she <laughs> was like, but this could be you dodging responsibility that if you did take on could transform your life and future relationships, but it's up to you. I was like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I was like, damn, yeah. Um, and so you talked a little bit about interdependence, but could you talk a little bit more about just like what does she mean by liberated relationships and what does that look like right now? Yes, 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 yes. I was like kind of dodging this because <laughs> it is actually the it's thing so that stood out to me the most. I was reading this book this section when I was just like going through it with like relationships that are important to me. And I was like, oh my God, accountability and relationships. How does this work? Um, and I think what she's talking about with, with liberating them is 
just honesty. It's it's actually not the, like a concept of like perfection all the time or doing the right thing all the time. It's just like open that thing up and say what's real and true. And if the thing that's real and true is like, I do not fucking have the energy for this, then like that's what's real and true. And I think, I think often there's this like idea maybe, maybe I'm projecting this that like uh, accountability and um, transformative justice is all about like, we are all at peace. And that's like not what the shit is at all. It's actually more like, let's be comfortable with the messiness of this um, and try to be like account accountable literally means just taking stock of something, right? Like naming something. Um, and she says that somewhere else, like name it to ease it. And I think that's what accountability is. It's saying like, not is itself, but part of it is saying like being willing to be honest and say, okay, these are the things, let's name them. Um, and show up for what you actually have energy for. Um, and that's not saying you're going to like uh, dodge harm or dodge hurt or pain or any of those things right but i think uh abuse is something different from those other things right um, and i can't say like what abuse is de facto but i think liberated relationships are and what, what she's saying is that they're they're about being honest and and uh saying where you're at um and something that um stood out to me about liberated relationships uh is she's talking about relinquishing Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I mean, to get personal, for me, a lot of times when I'm thinking about accountability and like transforming a relationship, I'm like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna create this thing that will be better and ideal. Um, and she like totally debunks that here. She's like, relinquish Frankenstein. You are not creating to people to be with or work with or some idealized individuals made of perfect parts of personality that you discovered on your life journey. You are meeting individuals with their own full lives behind and ahead of them. Stop trying to make and fix others and instead be curious about what they have made of themselves. And that was just like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> actually, even rebuilding after the point of naming the things that are going on isn't about assuming that, like, you can patch together this thing that will be the best. It's just not fucking possible. Um, and I think it takes a lot of care and a lot of um, trust. It takes so much trust. And I think the, the tricky part with it is like, that's in a dynamic where, at least for in my experience, where me and that other person or that those other groups of people are deciding to be in relationship through that conflict or through that challenge. And I think that piece of like liberating, a I guess actually it's in the name. If you're ending the relationship, it's not a liberated relationship, you've just ended the relationship. So I guess this is like assuming that you're doing that work together, um, whether or not doing that work together ends up in a place where it's like letting go of whatever was there. Um, it's still incredibly hard, yeah, and I think it takes a lot of grace and letting go of like a concept of a pretty picture, even through acknowledging that there will be harm, there's still sometimes this like idea of a utopia that has to be let go of. So what does this book suggest um, or directly say to the organizer who's thinking about, you know, um, you know, Philando Castile or Rakia or Takaya, right? Like what, um, it's, it, like you said, it is sort of an anti-rubric, right? But to me, there were very specific instructions in there that I was like, shit, like, uh, I, I guess I'm wondering if you can talk about um, maybe even less 
what we've been doing wrong and more just like you're new to organizing, you want, you're also concerned about this thing going on in your community, what does this book suggest you want to like, how do you go about that change? She has a lot to say about what, what we should be doing in this moment if we're, if we're trying to build with folks and we're trying to build a movement that's rooted in these principles, um, specifically as organizers. And there's, there's one thing that she says that I think anchors it. Um, and it's actually offered from Jenny Lee. Uh, and it's that the role of organizers in an ecosystem is to be earthworms, processing and aerating soil, making fertile ground out of the nutrients of sunlight, water, and everything that dies to nurture the next cycle of life. Um, and I think, yes, let's just pause for a moment. There's, there's so much to that. And I think, I think what she's trying to offer is that actually the work of the organizer isn't necessarily to lay out a grand vision or to create a strategic plan or to have, uh, you know, a set of numbers applied to that strategic plan and to build a budget and all those things. It, it's, to, it's actually to foster and create the relationships that will make us last through this long fight that we have ahead of us, right? Um, and how do we create the, con the conditions within our communities um, to foster the kinds of connections that we need to create so that we can actually be um, collaboratively building visions, right? So like the crux of what she's saying with emergent strategy is that we have to be doing the work of remaking our world together. Um, and so the, the role of the organizer is to kind to, to kind of like till the soil to make that possible. Um, so she, she's, I think in a way she's rethinking the role of, of a facilitator, right? So a facilitator isn't just like Monica was saying earlier, just like making an agenda. It's actually thinking through how to find the conversation that's in the room, right? That's one of the principles. How, how to, how to uh, kind of bring out what everyone has to offer to, to build a thing that will move us forward. Um, and I think that that's, it's, it's incubation work. It's, it's incubation. Mm -hmm. I think that's what she would offer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've been reading a lot about um, uh, SNCC and the NAACP Youth Councils. And I, last night I was reading Howard Zinn's book, New Abolitionist, and there was this quote I'm just going to share right now um, by a uh, 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 one of the one of the few folks from SNCC um, who, contrary to popular opinion, uh, most folks from Freedom Summer were not like these white college kids. But anyways, but she, this woman, this white college student, <laughs> did go down south, um, and her name was Jane. And she said, "Finally, it all boils down to human relationships." I'm, and I'm reading this because I think like this. This is one of those books where I think for folks, sometimes I have this kind of weird approach to theory that sometimes I can just be too harsh. And like, um, like this book is hard for me. It's, it, it challenges what I think like strategy means, right? But in really great ways that I enjoy. But it, 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 it and it feel because it's, it is, it's like anchored in sci-fi and Octavia Butler. But like I was reading this book last night that's a, a quote from someone who was in SNCC, right? And I was immediately reminded of this book. So Jane said, Finally, it all boils down to human relationships. It has nothing to do, finally, with governments. It is the question of whether we, whether I shall go on living in isolation or whether there shall be a we. The student movement is not a cause. It is a collision between this one person and that one person. It is a, I am going to sit beside you. Love alone is radical. Political statements are not. Programs are not. Even going to jail is not. And I guess I heard in that, and I what I'm hearing in what you're in in what Adrian Marie Brown is saying, and what you're saying that like rethinking this idea that like organizing is about 
articulating and achieving demands. It's not. It's about cultivating relationships. You know, and she had, there's this long quote in here that she says that, that people should buy the book and then read on page 86 about trees and oak trees. <laughs> and it's and like that there's it's not that you don't try to win, but she's saying there's that it, 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 we're not. It's almost like she it's like. It's not saying, oh, we're trying to get to the freedom land. It's it's trying to say we are trying to get to we almost. Right. Um, and I guess is that is that fair? It's that, is that she's saying it's about or an organizer is ultimately about. It's about your the relationships that you built across people. Um, right. Right. And I think I was trying to kind of get across trying to get this across earlier with right like practicing on the fractal level. Mm-hmm right, things that matter to transform ourselves and our relationships, it doesn't mean that we abandon the part of transforming the world. But the reason that these re- the, the quality of relationships and the quality of connection matters as much, or if not more, than the way we articulate demands, right, um, is because we are not going to win right away, right? Culture lasts. And so the ways that we build actually will inform the ways that people will continue to imagine the future. Um, and so if our movements are to succeed, we have to leave behind legacies and blueprints, not just of visions for what our world could be in terms of governance and policy and you know who has what, but in terms of how we actually want to be relating to each other. Um, it might be preposterous now to say, okay, if we win, then what is the world that we want? But she actually lays that on the book. She says, if we were to win tomorrow, we would... It, we need to have a concept of what is we need, we need to have a concept of prefigurative politics, not because we should be doing that work uh, at the exclusion of actually building um, concrete material improvements in people's lives now, but because otherwise, what is the fight for? Um, and that actually it matters that we anchor people in that, and not just in like the organizer's role is to create that vision, bring people into it, but actually we are collaboratively all the time evolving what that vision is through a set of strategic intentions for what that is. And the only way to actually collaborate on that is to be honest and show up together, to show up as ourselves honestly in relationship, in community, Um, because we're not going to win tomorrow. We have to fight today, but we're not going to win right, right away. And so we have to be laying laying it all down and building it up together. Yeah. And I want to, and I know we're running, we're running short on time, which I'm really sad about, but I want to piggyback a little bit off of Paige's question and also resonating with how challenging <laughs> this book is for me and how I organize and how I've operated for so long. And it's, it, but it's challenging in a good way. I am, I am learning. It's, this is a process. Anyway, so I wanted to piggyback off the question around like, how do you organize a block? How does, how does emergent strategy like, um, uh, how does that theory play into like organizing people, right? Um, but I wanted to ask a question around um, your thoughts on consensus and Adrian and Autumn's conversation that they had on consensus. Um, it's it's sort of towards the middle end of the book, um, and she has a conversation with her sister just about what what does consensus mean? What does it look like? And you know why do people typically feel like it's too hard? Can't do it? You know? Um, and she has Autumn actually has this really beautiful quote where she says. Um, because Adrian's asking about, you know, how is equal voice possible without equal status, right? And she's like, parentheses, asking for a friend. And, um, <laughs> you know, Autumn's like, that's a great question. And she goes, once we get to that space, 
of, um, well, I'm jumping ahead, but basically she says, once we get to that space, we see some forms of status fall away as people realize they don't have to consent to it. And then we see some forms of status remain as folks realize it's not a threat. When we can stand in knowing another person's power without feeling threatened, that can be powerful in itself. And Autumn's like, I love that part of consensus, right? Because being able to really see another person's expertise without being upset by it is like a beautiful thing. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have an <laughs> underline and like, yes, yes, like, yes, 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 yes. 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 So like, yeah, what, okay, well, t- talk, talk to me about it. What are your thoughts on yeah, it? Yeah, I think this goes back to the piece of like the, this this world that we're prefiguring, right? The world post-liberation isn't one where we all do the fucking same thing. It's just not, right? Um, and I, I saw a quote, actually. It was like next to an ad in an elevator. So this is really corny, but it applies here, which is that like leadership of heart does not the, need the power of position. And I think that applies here because what's being stated here is not that like post-liberation, we are going to have a world where there's just like flat hierarchical everything, right? It's actually a world where we are able to work together and not have domination over each other. That doesn't mean that people don't do different things or make different kinds of decisions or participate in different parts of the process. It's that we're not, you know, making it so that you have different life chances or making it so that you don't have what you need to survive, right? Or making it so that there's like things happening against your autonomy and against your uh, self-determination that someone else is doing off in a room, right? That doesn't mean that we're not doing different things, though. Um, and I think that that's an important practice to kind of live up to now because we have to try that on now so that later we can be comfortable with what that looks like. So there's, read this book. Like, I'm still reading it and savoring it. And also, like, so this is also a book that I pick up a lot. I just, like, open to a random page and there'll be a mm-hmm. quote that I'm like, oh, <laughs> That's so beautiful. I want it tattooed on my body. Um, and uh, I, I, we, you know, we ask every every guest on the lit review to to end with a passage that particularly struck them or or that they want to leave us with. Um, and I know I feel like this is probably the hardest book that we've ever asked anyone to do that with. <laughs> but hopefully you have one. Um, and if you could could share, um, I, well, first of all, thank you. Thank you. This was thank, you thank so y'all. Much. This is so much fun. <laughs> Um, really though, you got, everyone needs to read this book so we can all be talking about it. Yeah. Um, but I want to leave you with the, the floor to, in the words of Adrian Marie Brown, the book is Emergent Strategy. And this is Hannah's favorite passage. Word. So I'm going to do something that's actually, that she uses from Octavia Butler. All successful life is adaptable, opportunistic, tenacious, interconnected, and fecund. Understand this, use it, shape God. to another episode of The Lit Review, a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about books for the movement. We are your co-hosts, Monica Trinidad and Paige May, two Chicago-based organizers. Special shout out to The Lit Review's very own sponsor, the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership out of Kalamazoo College. Keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next Monday, same time, same place. Want to hear about a specific book? Email us at thelitreviewchicago at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. And if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at litreviewshy. Keep reading! Keep reading.